we get started on our next question this morning, um, I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about how I got involved in Chi Alpha. I explained yesterday that uh, I was not looking for a Christian community um, at all. Um, so I, well, I don't really, the details are fuzzy. I don't remember how this group called Chi Alpha got my contact information. Do you guys have a student activities fair? Yeah, okay, and it's like chaos and you don't remember what you signed up for. Yeah, that's like basically <laughs> what happened. Um, I guess I walked down the, like the religious org aisle um, and I had signed my name. They got my info. This really nice girl named Amanda like took time out of her day to bake me cookies, write me a nice note. Um, she came to my dorm. I like, <laughs> like literally not just like the dorm building, but like my room. Um, I was not there. Uh, my roommate said that she actually came back a couple of times, so that's like <laughs> real commitment, right? But I like didn't never met her. Um, but I had this little bag from her in my room. I just kind of threw it away. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, what is this? Um, and then, yeah, one of my dark nights of laying in bed wondering what the meaning of existence is, I was like, maybe I should text this girl. So. Um, got out my phone the next morning, texted her asking something like, can I like come to your core group? Is it too late to join? And of course she was like, absolutely not, come. And then I regretted it because she was like a little too eager to get that message from me, right? Now she like knew <laughs> my phone number, she was texting me. Um, so I went to core group, I hated it. I went to uh, our large group, I hated it. <laughs> so if that was you, like there's, or if you know someone that doesn't like Alpha, there's hope. Um, yeah, I mean, you responded pretty. Yeah, I, don't, I would love to talk to you and ask you why, but it was just uncomfortable. And honestly, I'd only been in Christian circles with other Koreans, so I was like, whoa, what is this really loud music? What's happening? Um, and. I'm an Enneagram 3. Anyone into Enneagrams here? Are you 3? We have a lot of problems. Yeah. <laughs> I can act like I'm being vulnerable, but I'm actually like, I have a lot of guards up. I know, it's really hard. We are manipulative. Um, so it took a really long time, I think, over the course of that year for me to like actually break down my walls. Um, but yeah, really thankful. I'm still here in Chi Alpha. Gosh, 10 years later, never thought I would be here. Um, but I share that story to say, um, if there is someone in your life, whether you're a freshman or someone that you know um, at your school that you're like, they're not interested, they'll never come through the doors of Chi Alpha, you never know. Keep trying, keep inviting them. Um, you never know at what moment, the right time, the Lord um, is softening their hearts like he was for me. Um, so yeah, no one is too far away from the Lord. Cool. So with that, uh, I want to jump into our next question. Oh, I already started recording this. Um, <laughs> so this morning, we're going to look at another question um, from Jesus. And out of all the questions that uh, he's asked, <laughs> or out of the many passages in Scripture where Jesus um, asks question, this morning's question is the one that when I first engaged with it, like Jesus like totally wrecked my life. So um, yeah, this question is really meaningful for me personally. So to set up this morning's question, um, I have to first tell you something that I'm a bit embarrassed by. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, It's I'm, this is a vulnerable moment for me because I'm an Enneagram 3 and I don't like to share my weaknesses. But um, in our marriage, so me and Ben, I don't think he's here. Is he in here? Oh, he is. <laughs> I like saw, I was like, I know he's going to the bathroom. 
Um, yeah, in our marriage, Ben is tasked with taking care of car issues. Um, cars intimidate me. Does anyone else feel like that? Or are you guys all? <laughs> yeah. Why don't they teach us this in like high school instead of teaching us algebra? I don't know. Um, but let me tell you why. So my first car was a Honda Civic. Um, cute little coup. Um, I named it Wimby. I do I have a picture of it. Yeah. Um, there it is. Um, I look sad. Let me tell you why. <laughs> Um, I'm usually pretty proactive about life things, but for some reason, there's like something about cars. I just like, I can't, I get scared. Um, and growing up, it was something that I relied on my dad to help me figure out. Um, there's so much I didn't know about cars, including the necessity of getting an oil change. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so sometime during my junior year of college, um, every once in a while I would be driving my car and the accelerator just would stop accelerating. Like it would like <laughs> literally just stop. Um, and then a few seconds later, like it would either start working again or I'd have to like turn the <laughs> engine off and back on and I'd just keep driving. Um, and at first, when it started happening, I thought, something's probably not right, like my car shouldn't be doing this, but I don't know, I guess this is just like what's happening with my car, right? <laughs> this is like normal. Um, and whenever I had passengers, Aaron, I don't know if you were ever in the car with me, I remember like warning them, just so you know, like my car's just gonna stop. <laughs> It's, good. it's okay. It turns back on after a few seconds. Um, and they were like, what? That's not okay. Like, why are you so chill about this? And like, people stopped wanting to ride in the car with me. Um, and the scariest is when one time it stopped in the middle of like a three-way intersect. I don't know how to describe it. But yeah, I was in the middle of an intersection and it stopped and it was terrifying. It's okay. I'm still here. Um, <laughs> but as you might imagine, like, I could only pretend like this was normal for so long. Um, one day when I was driving, uh, my car stopped running as usual, um, except this time the entire front hood was smoking and it didn't, never turned back on. Um, <laughs> and it turns out um, my dad had been the one getting me oil changes whenever I visited home. Um, and I just hadn't visited home in a really long time. <laughs> AKA, I hadn't gotten an oil change in a really long time. And it was a really, really sad day. Um, I was 20 years old when I learned that you have to get oil changes or your car. Yes, every 3,000 miles. Um, yeah, I don't know, people have differing opinions, but now I'm like, I get an oil change like all the time. Um, and whenever I see my dad, he's like, did you get an oil change? <laughs> um, like, I don't think he trusts me with cars anymore. Um, and actually, whenever, like, something is slightly wrong with my car, like, I, like, panic. I'm like, we got to fix it right now. Um, <laughs> so, but yes, I learned a valuable lesson that, that day. I have to get an oil change regularly.
Um, if you guys have any other like helpful car information, like please let me know. I just <laughs> learned this year you have to also do tire rotations. Um, yeah, I mean, you guys sound like you all know this, so I obviously like missed that. I don't know. <laughs> um, but hopefully, no one else here has had this experience. Um, but let's be honest have you ever like in your life allowed something to stay broken longer than it should right oh, no. like <laughs> well, something i don't know like for me it's like when my phone screen cracks like i don't care like it's too much work to fix it <laughs> but you know i get to the point where it starts like cutting my my thumb yeah um, so maybe it's an actual item that you're like, I'll get to that like next week or someday. Um, probably if you've like broken a bone, you probably can't ignore that for too long. I don't know. I've never broken a bone, so but I would imagine that it's pretty pretty painful. Um, but what about like more significant areas of our lives? Has there been an area of your life where brokenness became the new normal? Um, and that word normal, it doesn't feel right to say that the world we know it is normal, um, but it sure seems that way. Let me explain why, what I mean by that. Um, all we have to do is open our phones, open the news app, Instagram, whatever, to see the brokenness of our world. You know, these last few years, I have gotten so used to seeing brokenness in the news headlines that I like, almost like expect it every time I open my phone. You know, another moral failure from someone I respect, another hor horrific event, another war, hopefully not another pandemic um, in this lifetime. But there is a sense that something is wrong with the world as it currently is, otherwise we wouldn't be trying to fix the problems. And again, it doesn't feel right to say like this world out there with all of its brokenness, like that's normal, but it sure seems that way. And generation after generation, humanity just repeats its evil. Um, in the words of our good friend Taylor Swift, I think I have seen this film before. Do you guys know that song? Yeah, it's one of her new ones. <laughs> Um, but again, what about you? Has there been an area of your life where brokenness became the normal? And I'm confident that everyone in this room has experienced brokenness on a personal level in some way, whether it's something we did, whether it was something that was done to us, or something that we just feel, feel the effect of in this broken world. Maybe it's something that wounded you detrimentally and it's a wound that just not has, has not healed. Maybe there's a relationship that was broken and the aftermath has left you just really bitter. Or something maybe happened in your family that you've never talked to anyone about and you just, you're like, this is how it is. Maybe there's, there's a habit or a pattern in your life that you know is sin. Maybe you've experienced something traumatic or horrendous, such as abuse of any form. Maybe you've experienced brokenness in your emotional health, or perhaps you just see it in your own heart, right? Like I see pride and selfishness in my heart. And perhaps you're not like starting your day off every day thinking like, wow, there's a lot of brokenness <laughs> in my life. Um, but you know, if we step back and look at our lives, we all have experienced brokenness in some form. 
So this morning, we'll see Jesus ask us a pretty interesting question, one that leads us to address whether brokenness is our norm or whether we desire for a new reality. And how you answer this morning's question can transform your entire life. So we will be in John chapter 5, um, same gospel as last night. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. So something that's helpful to know about the book of John is that um, the first half of the Gospels often referred to as the book of signs um, because the word used for Jesus's miracles that he does a lot, that Greek word, which we translate to sign, um, is that Greek word, we translate it to the word sign. And so what John is saying is that these miracles that we see in the Gospel of John, they're not just miracles that like are happening for that one person, but they're a sign that points to something greater about who Jesus is. So uh, is anyone an English major in here? Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> so you can kind of think of John as the Gospel for English majors. Like there's always like a deeper meaning happening in all of these miracles. And so our question tonight comes from one of those, tonight, this morning, comes from one of those signs. So John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, a sh near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, Bethesda, sorry, hard words, <laughs> and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Okay, let's stop there. So imagine like a huge Olympic sized pool and then imagine that pool being filled with the coolest, most refreshing, beautiful water imaginable, right? Do you have that picture in your mind? It's like an awesome pool. Okay, this pool that we read about is like nothing like that. This pool is more like, like a makeshift hospital. Um, so picture the scene. Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Jewish festivals and he intentionally makes the decision to go to this pool where there's tons of people in pain. So it's like he comes into Harrisonburg for a wedding. By the way, I got married in Harrisonburg, so. <laughs> um, so he, it's like he comes into Harrisonburg for a wedding or Fairfax, but instead of going to the wedding, he like walks straight into the waiting room of an ER. It's kind of a bizarre action. And there, there are a great number of the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, lying around and waiting there. And there's a reason why they were all there. So you see, this pool had an underwater spring, and there seems to have been a superstition of some sort that every once in a while, this spring would be stirred up by an angel, um, and the waters would overflow. And it was believed that the person that would get into the water first, they would be healed. So that's where they're all there. And we are introduced to this random man. And we are only told uh, one thing about this man at this point, that he had been an invalid for 38 years, which we can assume is some form of physical paralysis. And that is a short, simple sentence that flew off my tongue, right? 
but it's a short, simple sentence that summarizes agony and hopelessness. 38 years is like your lifetime times two. It's Josh's lifetime. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, a, f a few years ago, I had hives break out all over my body. Um, I don't know why it was happening. For a few months, it just wouldn't go away. And it was like so annoying. Like every morning I would wake up with just hives everywhere. It was really frustrating to live with. And that was just a few months. I can't imagine 38 years of this, this kind of agony. Because the reality is his brokenness, his physical brokenness has robbed him of a full life. Because to have a physical disability at that time not only obviously impacted you physically, but it also outcasted you relationally and socially. So talk about helplessness being his normal. We can probably assume he showed up at this pool because at some point he wanted his life to be different. But can you imagine just laying there year after year? You're looking at a future that you long for but you can't touch, healing that you can't reach. It's pretty hard to get lower in life than sitting at a mat at the pool of Bethsaida. And I love that Jesus decides you know what, I'm going to go to this pool and I'm going to approach this one specific guy. This man is not looking for Jesus, but Jesus is looking for this man. And he asks this simple question, do you want to get well? And Jesus' question invites us to come face to face with three things. The reality of brokenness, our response to brokenness, and then finally Jesus' response to our brokenness. So first, let's talk about the reality of our brokenness. Jesus asks, do you want to be made well? So Jesus, who has come to this place, he learns that this man's been suffering for 38 years, and his question to him is, do you want to be well? It's like asking someone who's dead broke, like, do you want some money? Um, it's an odd, like, kind of awkward question, like, Jesus, read the room. Like, we all want to be well. <laughs> That's why we're here. Why would you ask that? But Jesus' question acknowledges the reality of this man's brokenness and in turn acknowledges the reality of our brokenness. His question acknowledges, you are at this pool because you're paralyzed. Something is not as it should be. And as awkward as this question is, I really appreciate that. Imagine if something was so obviously wrong and painful and broken in your life and Jesus just ignored it. How would that feel? But instead, his question acknowledges the reality of it, the reality of sin in our world and in our lives. And there's a lot of different ways you can talk or define sin, talk about or define sin. Um, but one of the biggest biblical ideas about sin is that it's an intruder. As one theologian put it, in the biblical worldview, even when sin is devastatingly familiar, it is never normal. It doesn't belong in God's world. So as we talked about last night, God created this world. He created you and I, and there was shalom. That is um, the word you could translate to wholeness. There was shalom when God created this world. In sin, whether it's sin in our own hearts or sin done to us, 
intrudes and leads to the brokenness of that shalom. And so Jesus, by asking this question, is stating the obvious. He just says, sir, you're not well, and that's what brought you to the pool. You are at the pool because something is not as it should be in your life. And in a world marred by sin and brokenness, none of us in this room are immune to that. Whether we are consciously aware of it or not, we are all at the pool. And so I wonder what brings you to the pool? To this man, Jesus acknowledged his physical brokenness. To you and me, Jesus might say something like, I see you live really lonely. I see you're bound in chains to substances. You have deep insecurity in your friendships. You're addicted to technology. You have a broken heart. You have destructive thought patterns. You have self-hatred towards yourself. Do you want that to be different? Yet for such an obvious question, um, what is the man's response to his brokenness? We read that he says, I have no one to put me in the pool. This man doesn't say, you know what? Yeah, I do. I do want to be well. Instead, he starts to explain why his situation is never going to change. Well, you see, Jesus, I'm over here. The water's over there. Um, this pool is supposed to be an opportunity for healing. But as you can see, I'm all alone here, and no one's gonna, I have no one to put me in there. Or in other words, he's saying, you know, I can't. I've tried. I've done everything I know how. I'm here, right? And underneath these words of, I have no one to put me in a pool, we meet a man who has lost hope. It's pointless. And you can't really blame him in one sense, right? He's been, he's been like this for 38 years. And this is so often my response to brokenness. This is so often a human response to brokenness. Maybe there are attempts of addressing what we see as broken in our lives. We've tried fixing it, but after 38 years, come on, like that's, that's hopeless. There's one area in particular in my life where I have deeply felt this sense of hopelessness. Um, when I was in elementary school, an older family friend introduced me to the world of human sexuality and pornography. And as a young child, I was intrigued and easily ensnared. Um, by the time I could consciously put words to what it was, it had already become entrenched in my life as something I turned to when I was stressed or lonely. And at some point, I realized, like, I'd grown up in church, I realized this is destructive, it's not good. But unfortunately, the only narratives I'd ever heard were ones of women don't struggle with this, women don't experience this kind of sexual sin. So the only way I thought, like, I could be made well was just to stop, <laughs> do my best to stop. And I remember having many altar call moments where I repented, committed to change, but I would return to it. So much so that I just learned how to coexist with it. And I remember that f terrible feeling of, you know, I guess, I guess this is just how it's going to be for the rest of my life. And then I remember the very first time I heard Jesus ask this question, like, do you want to get well? Like, not just address these symptoms of, like, this behavior, but actually get well. 
And in one sense, I guess my answer was yes, like I have tried Jesus, but in another sense, my response was like this man's. I've tried and nothing has really worked. So why might our answer not be an immediate yes, like this man? Some reasons are like, you've tried, like me, you've done your best, you put in your time, but it's been a while. Or over time, you've come to see the brokenness um, of your life as part of your identity, almost like it's like become a part of who you are, so you don't know what it would be like to live without it. Or maybe the cost of wholeness, of returning to that shalom, would be too high. Maybe it would be inconvenient. It would probably require some changes, some vulnerability. Um, it might cost you something socially, even your sense of self-dignity. And bringing others into your brokenness, that's really hard, that's vulnerable. Or maybe over time, you've come to like whatever it is. Whatever that brokenness is, um, you've come to like it. And while you might cognitively recognize that mm, this thing in my life is probably not good, but your heart has slowly become hardened to that. Or maybe, finally, you just can't imagine another reality. You just can't imagine anything else. The longer something persists, the more discouraged you become, sometimes to the point where you think, this is just what God has for me. I don't deserve hope. One of my favorite authors um, is a neuroscientist named Dr. Kurt Thompson. Um, he's awesome, you should read him. He writes about what happens to us on a neurological level when we experience some form of trauma and evil. He basically says, on a neurological level, evil collapses our imagination for what God has for us and blinds us to the possibility of beauty. Like that literally happens to us on a neurological level. And if this is you, if you've like experienced something in your life that's been really traumatic and hard, like I just wanna say I believe you and I believe that. Maybe you've, what you've been through or what was done to you is, is so dark, you like can't imagine life without that especially for those with addictive behaviors, one of the most frustrating realities is how you long for change, you long for a different reality, but you also experience a strange comfort in the misery it provides. Um, if you remember from history class uh, in the late 20th century, the Soviet Union had these gulags. They were a massive system of forced labor camps where um, some 18 million people were passed through. And there's this um, entry from one prisoner who escaped once and he decided to turn himself back in. It's really interesting. And he told his fellow prisoners, freedom isn't for us. We're chained to this place for the rest of our lives, even though we aren't wearing chains. We can escape, we can wander around, but in the end, we'll always come back. And I don't know about you, but those words, I have felt that way about many things in my life. And then the most incredible thing happens in our story. We continue reading in John 5, picking up in verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, 
Who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So, here is Jesus' response to this man's brokenness. He says, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. It's an invitation to change his reality. And it's like, I, I've, I love this patch, passage. I've thought about it so much. And it's like, can you imagine like what this man would have been <laughs> feeling? Like, what are you saying to me? You're telling me to do what? If, I, if it was that easy, I would have done that 38 years ago, right? This was out of left field. And, you know, for him, in his mind, the most obvious way that Jesus probably could have helped him was to help him get to that water. But what Jesus brings is something totally different. Jesus tells him to get up, and he gets up, and he walks. What power, like, does this man have, you know? What power does Jesus have? And I don't know if you've ever seen supernatural healing. Um, it's crazy like it's like what um like literally the thing that is like naturally seemingly impossible suddenly becomes possible and this man has done nothing absolutely nothing to deserve it jesus is the one that heals him and um it's at this point in the story that you might wonder like okay like is she taking us to a place where it's like Jesus is going to fix all your problems. Like, Jesus is going to make you better. <laughs> Does this story mean that Jesus is suddenly going to heal all of my brokenness? Well, remember what we said in the beginning. This telling of this miracle was a sign that pointed to a deeper truth about Jesus. And in this case, this man is physically healed. Immediately, Jesus brought shalom, wholeness, to this man's body. And the fact that he tells him to take his mat means that it's complete. Like, you're never going to come back to this pool ever again. But the reality is, even if Jesus were to heal every physical thing about us, we are still faced with the reality of death. There's still this thing called sin that destroys us and our world. So what is the deeper truth that John is trying to illustrate to us? Take a look at these interactions um, after the healing. Uh, people get upset with this man for carrying his mat on the Sabbath. And Jesus, they get mad at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. They're like, who did this to you? <laughs> um, it's, which is really ironic. The Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest. And the fact that these interactions are recorded, that's not a random detail. Um, by bringing healing on the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, I am your true place of rest. I am your true place of shalom. And when Jesus uh, sees this man later, he tells him, hey, don't sin anymore so that nothing worse may happen to you. And you're like, it's kind of an intense thing to say, Jesus. But, like, what's worse than 38 years of living like this, living paralyzed? 
think Jesus is saying, what's worse is an eternity without me. And here's what Jesus is saying. I brought Sabbath to your body today, but I want to give Sabbath to your soul. I'm not just bringing shalom, wholeness to your body, but I want to bring shalom to your soul. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he did not just die to forgive us of our sins. That did happen. But he also died to destroy the work of Satan in our lives and disarm evil. And the sacrificial love of God defeated the power of sin and the power of brokenness over our lives. And so what that means is that you and I can begin to experience shalom, wholeness on this earth right now. It's like this new other reality has begun to invade our current reality. I like picture, you guys, anyone watch the new Spider-Man movie, No Way Home? Yeah, when the, the other <coughs> verse, what, what's happening, universe starts to invade uh, poor Peter Parker's world. Um, that's like literally what's happening. <laughs> this new other reality begins to invade ours. And we, it still might look like evil is victorious in this world, but those powers are defeated and its days are numbered. And one day, Jesus' promise is to restore the entire world. So to put it simply, what is Jesus' response to our brokenness? Jesus gives us access to a new future where brokenness is no longer the new normal. Jesus gives us access to a new future where brokenness is no longer the normal. When Jesus enters the picture, when we redirect our hope onto him, everything changes. Yet at the same time, this man, he had to actually be the one to get up. Jesus does not force him onto his feet. While it was undeniably Jesus who gave him the power and the courage to walk out his healing, there was still a level of responsibility for this man to respond to Jesus. And this invitation to healing, this invitation to this new normal, you and I have to be willing to participate. And all we have to do is humbly say yes. For this man at the pool, his healing was instantaneous. Jesus told him, get up, and he got up. But for many of us, it's a process that we walk through with God and in community. So I don't know what that would look like for you. I don't know what your stories are. I don't know how you feel about that. Because <laughs> um, this can be intimidating to walk into healing because like, sometimes you don't know where the end point is, right? But we can take comfort in knowing that Jesus knows. Jesus sees it. And there is hope not just for things to get better, but for ultimate restoration one day. So maybe for you to walk into that wholeness, it's, it might cost you something. It might mean you walk into uh, something unknown that you don't know when that season's going to end. Maybe it means things in your life really, really do have to change. Maybe some patterns and habits have to change. Maybe it requires accountability, giving uh, the people in this room, your Christian community, authority to speak into your life. Um, as I was preparing this, uh, 
this message, um, I just was thinking of the many students that I have seen walk into Shalom. Um, and it just, uh, I praise God for that. I think of the one girl I know for whom saying yes meant paying for and downloading an accountability software. I think of a friend for whom saying yes meant doing the hard work of naming and processing the wounds from their parents in the context of their community that they would have much rather ignored. Or the student um, for whom saying yes to this invitation included seeing a licensed therapist. I remember when I was a student, like this is the craziest one I heard. Um, <laughs> I don't know who this person is, but I remember hearing about people who would literally give up the convenience of having a smartphone and getting a dumb phone because they're like, this is not helping me walk towards wholeness. Or saying no to drinking because alcohol would lead them down a trajectory of sin. But at a baseline level, I would say that saying yes to Jesus' invitation to shalom always uh, involves confession, and it always happens in community. But can I just say that no matter what, like no matter how challenging, how vulnerable it feels, um, the shalom that Jesus gives us is always worth it. And for these individuals that I named, um, and for the many others, the, all of their journeys have been different. But when we say yes to Jesus, his shalom begins to invade our lives, invade our areas of brokenness that we have seen as normal for so long. So um, as we begin to close, I wanna look at just one last time at this detail about the Sabbath because it's pretty awesome. Um, again, people got upset with this man for carrying his mat, and they got upset with Jesus. Um, and we didn't read this verse, but the very next verse in this passage, um, we learn that this man goes and tells the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus that had made him well. And if you read through the Gospels, it actually, it was these kinds of things that Jesus did, these kinds of disputes between Jesus and the Jewish authorities over the Sabbath, they were part of what led to them eventually killing Jesus. And so this act of bringing shalom on the Sabbath sets Jesus on a trajectory to the cross. The miracle of bringing shalom, of bringing wholeness into our lives cost Jesus his life. Jesus pays for our rest with his life. And what a beautiful, beautiful picture of the gospel. What a beautiful savior. So uh, I can invite the worship team back up. So do you want to get well? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to see that shalom invade every area of your life? That is Jesus' invitation to all of us. Jesus wants to make you well. And he gives us access to that future where brokenness is no longer the norm. And that's a future that you and I can begin to experience now. So as we close, um, I just want to guide us for a few minutes um, in a prayerful reflection just right here in the presence of God together with a few questions. Um, so if you could, I don't know, close your eyes, whatever you need to do <laughs> to um, be focused on the presence of God here.
So the first question I wanted you to think about right now in this moment is, what brings you to the pool? Perhaps this morning, um, you just need to be uh, honest and truthful about the fact that you are at the pool. You need to be truthful about where there is brokenness, broken shalom in your life. So this first question is, what brought you to the pool? Where is there brokenness in your life? Is it a wound? Is it something that was done to you that's left a deep wound? Is it a sinful pattern of a behavior? Is it a thought pattern? Just ask the Holy Spirit for help to show you why you are at the pool. Give us a few minutes. staying in this prayerful um, posture before the Lord. Second question is, do you want to get well? You know, you're at the pool for one reason or the other, for many reasons, if you are like me. Do you want a new reality? I just want you to imagine yourself at the pool um, and imagine Jesus walking into that place He sees you from all the way across the pool and he walks to you and with deep compassion in his eyes, he asks, do you want to get well? Do you want access to a new reality, to a new normal? I know you can't see past your brokenness right now, but if you allow me, I can bring a hope that you won't get anywhere else. So let's just spend a few minutes hearing Jesus ask us that question. Do you want to get well?
Before we enter back into a time of um, worship and response, um, I just want to pray over us and um, with every head bowed, um, if you feel like there's something in your life where you don't have much hope for change, um, maybe as we've been sitting here, there's like something that's been on your mind that you're like, you know, this is broken and um, I don't really see a way for that to change. Or maybe something that you're like, I want this to change. I want to say yes to Jesus's invitation. Um, with every head bowed, um, if that's you this morning, would you just look up and uh, make eye contact with me? I would love to pray for you specifically. Let's pray. Jesus, you um, are so beautiful and good to us. Jesus, we thank you that you don't just walk by our brokenness, but actually you come to us in our brokenness. You come directly to us. Jesus, you know every single one of our stories. You know where we've been wounded and where we've wounded others. And so, Lord, I pray um, that you would just pour your spirit out on this place, that you would pour yourself out over every single person. For those who feel um, hopeless, who want to experience shalom in their lives, Jesus, we invite you to invade our lives with your peace. Holy Spirit, would you give us the courage to, to walk towards that healing in this community? Give us courage to walk with humility. Lord, I pray that uh, just as you promised, that you really um, would make us well. And Lord, we thank you that this power does not come from us, but from you who literally went to the cross so that we could experience shalom right here, right now, on this earth. And so Lord, as we um, just respond in worship to who you are and what you're doing and what you will continue to do, um, we just continue to invite you, Holy Spirit, to continue to minister to us through the rest of this day. In your name, amen.